I do appreciate the extra effort. I know some people put an extra scoop in of coffee in their coffee when they made it this morning, or uh, maybe you did something else to help wake you up. I do not want to take advantage with our time today. I do want to give the next half hour or so to our study in the book of Acts. It's been an encouragement and a challenge to me. We're coming up to an area that is a little bit unique. I knew coming to the book of Acts, we would face several areas where people disagree. And I've encouraged us, we don't have to fear that. You do not have to fear even areas where maybe you're confused, you feel like you don't have a great handle on it. Um, I use the term on a regular basis where good men disagree. We do not have to be afraid of that. And that is a blessing that it is, I mean, just that last song talking about what, how we are changed because of the blood of Christ, to know how special this is, how wonderful you are in the eyes of your Savior because of what he did for you. What a great place we live in today. Amen. Let's stop and ask for God's help as we jump into this. Father, I would very, very clearly ask again, as I have asked multiple times already leading up to this moment, for your blessing, the Holy Spirit's clear involvement as we study. And I would ask that as we look at the Word of God, that it would change our lives, allow us to recognize the beauty of what you did for us at um, the moment when Christ died and when you saved us for those who know Jesus Christ as Savior and for what you are doing throughout our lives. Help us to be able to recognize that. How wonderful that you did not just leave us, but you are present with us. We thank you for that promise of Jesus Christ, and we claim it during this time, your clear and active presence as we study your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I do not have to work very long at convincing you that there are many men and women around us that are hoping that today is their lucky day. They are hoping that this is the one, maybe the one that will help get them past some hardship, maybe the one that will um, increase their bank account quite a bit. There are folks walking around waiting for their lucky day, if I can use that word with your forgiveness. I can remember a few years back, not too long ago, when I had a problem with my car. It was not running. And so I was going to be in the market looking for a vehicle. And as I was thinking on this and pondering it, sure enough, in the mail came a message right to me. had my name on it and everything, or current resident was also on it, I think. But having said that, I was guaranteed to be a winner at a local car dealership. And this had to be God's timing, right? I mean, it must have been. Where it said, you are a guaranteed winner to win one of these prizes. And I think the first prize was a million dollars cash which would have bought a, a plenty nice car. And the next prize was from this car dealership, the choice of two or three different vehicles that were on there, guaranteed to win, or else the third thing you were guaranteed to win were some gold coins, some actual gold coins. Guaranteed, it had a code right on there. You could take it in, and they had a computerized thing that would read that. Let me ask you, how many of you have ever received a key in the mail from a car dealership? Raise your hand. Wow. All right. Just so I don't lose my momentum of my illustration, how many of you have ever actually got a key that turned on a car? Raise your hand. Anybody? I'm sure the government's watching out for this. I'm sure 
that they have some guidelines they have to follow. Having said that, with the complete confidence that God is with me all the time, I took my paper with my code down to the car dealership. And I didn't want to seem like just, you know, a selfish person, and I was in the market for a car anyway. So I talked to the car dealer, and we went and talked about what I was looking for and, and different varieties, and I even test drove a car. Of course, I had my paper in my hand with my code on it, and I was excited. We went through the entire thing, and of course, I was going to shop around a little bit, and as we got toward the end of the appointment, I did not want to leave without, of course, giving God a chance to bless me with this code that was guaranteed to win a prize. And I did win a prize. Would any of you like to guess what the prize was that I won? I won some actual gold coins. I did. I, I think I gave them to my kids is what I did. They were gold-plated coins worth maybe $3. So I got that going for me, I guess. Um, but I was a winner at that time. I was very open to the idea of something extraordinary happening. Happening. I think that all of us are thrilled when something extraordinary is happening. I sat with a group of believers just in the past several days, and one of my friends was talking, and he was talking about this extraordinary event. It's what I will oftentimes refer to as a God story what God is doing in our life that we cannot explain in any other way. People who do not give God the credit would call it just luck. It's their lucky day. But this individual was telling about something that there was no doubt in his mind. God had done this. And then he said this line. He said, I'm sure all of you have some situations where God has done something like that for you. What a great challenge. I encourage us to walk around with the glasses on of being able to see what God is doing. In fact, oftentimes we will change, and change is not a problem. Change gets harder, I think, as we get older, but I think that's part of God's process of growing us. I've had a change even in the past year, something I started over a decade ago. Um, I started praying for my children, and I started praying in specific ways uh, probably about 12 years ago. And I would pray the same three prayer requests. Some of you have heard it before because I've repeated it. For more than a decade, I would pray that my children would have a love and respect for the word of God. So love and passion for it. I pray they would be honest in all they say and do because that's so challenged in our day. I also pray that they would put others before themselves, which as I see it is the definition of greatness in the Bible. Those are three things that I have prayed for over a decade. And just in the past year, I've added one that I have picked up a fourth thing that I have added, and that fourth request that I pray for my own kids is that they clearly see the involvement of the Holy Spirit in their life. That they see something that is not just dumb luck, not just one day going on and it just happened that way, but they clearly see what God was doing and give him credit for what he is doing. I want to go ahead and start with a testimony today. I want to talk to you about something that I'm going to ask you to judge, if it's extraordinary or not. I'm going to tell you one story here at the beginning, and then at the close, I'm going to tell you another story. And I want you to tell me which one of those two stories was extraordinary. So you've got to pay attention. You've got to remember for at least 20 minutes this first story, all right? I know that's hard, so go ahead and wake up. I don't have any prizes or any kind of um, encouragement for you if you get it right. But you pay attention to see if this first story is something that's extraordinary or if the story that we close with today is extraordinary. 
The first story is the story of how I came to be a Christian. I talked to somebody even in the past couple weeks about sharing their story of coming to Christ and they had a response that maybe you've heard before, maybe you've said before. They said, boy, my salvation story is really not super exciting. And they didn't mean anything that was unbiblical about that. They just mean they don't, you know what I'm talking about when I say you'll hear somebody give a testimony they were saved out of a biker gang, you know, and they've just got that testimony where you're saying, my goodness, look at what God was doing. Or they get saved out of some incredible background where God worked out this and this and this to bring them to that. And then there are others who have a salvation testimony that really is not something that might make the top 10 bestseller book in the Christian bookstores. It might not. But having said that, it was an incredible work of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you about when I was five years old or six years old, I'm not exactly sure, and I was at a church service um, in the evening, and my brother, my brother Bob, about 13 months older than me, came running out of the church, and he was excited about something. And um, he said, man, and he was excited. I said, what are you so excited about? And he said, I got saved. And I said, well, what's that? What are you talking about? And he said, I got saved. And he told me a little bit about it and sent me into the pastor because I was curious. And I sat in the back of the auditorium with Pastor Molinax was his name. And I was five or six. And so please take this the right way. I'm trusting that Pastor Molinax walked me through the Romans Road and that he gave me the plan of salvation as we oftentimes will put that in, a, in an acceptable way, in an understandable way, and that he led me to the place of a prayer where I could pray and ask God to save me. And it's possible that when I was five or six years old, I became a Christian as I looked to repent from my wicked lifestyle. Wicked lifestyle from a five or six-year-old, what's that, right? You know the old expression, what are Christians supposed to do? We don't smoke, drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do. I didn't have any of those things. That characterized my life. Fast forward about seven years when I was at Christian camp. I want to say thank you right here in the middle of this testimony for those of you who support Christian camp. We are able to at Calvary help the young people here in a tremendous way with helping them afford to go to Christian camp. When I was about 12 years old, I went to Christian camp and I can remember the sermon that I heard um, and that's saying a lot. This is when I was 12 years old because if I asked many of you what the sermon was about last week, you'd be hard-pressed, right? And that's okay. I'm there sometimes too, even when I preached it. <laughs> Having said that, the man was Jerry Silvers. He was a pastor in the area. He preached on Christ. He preached on his crucifixion and was very animated when he went through the crucifixion of Christ. And I can remember leaving that chapel setting and sitting by a tree and weeping. And it's possible that when I was 12 years old, when I said, God, if I'm not saved, please save me, it's possible that I became a Christian at that time. Fast forward about five more years when I was 17, and I was by myself in, my, in the upstairs of my home, near my bedroom, and I can just remember God working in my heart, just doing some convicting. There wasn't any kind of a sermon. There wasn't any kind of a major happening that took place, but there was something going on in my heart where God was working, and I knelt down, and I said the prayer that I'm guessing many of you have said, God, if I am not saved, would you save me? I cannot tell you to this day if I officially, if that's the right way of saying it, became a follower of Jesus when I was five or when I was 12 or when I was 17. I can tell you today with complete confidence that I'm on my way to heaven, that I know him, I know the work that Jesus did, 
I've repented from those sins, and I look at Jesus as king of my life. And these are things that are encouragements to me as I walk towards him. In the membership class today, we're going to go over a lesson, and it's called Four Tests of Being a Christian. What are some tests from the Bible that we can go over? We're going to look at those. If you'd like a copy of that, I can give you a copy even if you're not in the class. That's my salvation testimony. Is it extraordinary? You pay attention to that and wait till we come to the end and I'll share another story and I'll let you decide which one is extraordinary. As we come to the text here, if you're not already there, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 19. This brings us to our text in Acts chapter 19 and we've already read this and I said we're gonna talk about, I'm not sure if saying there's some sensitive issues, but as we come to studying the book of Acts, it's important for us to understand that we take the book of Acts today not to be seen near as much as prescriptive for the church. This is not a prescription for what, for what we're supposed to do necessarily as much as descriptive for how the church started because we find many things going on in the book of Acts that we do not see on a regular basis today. Sometimes we don't see them at all. And for some people, this topic of, I'm going to use a couple big words here, cessationism versus continuationism. For some people, those are extremely sensitive topics. The idea of what gifts of the Spirit do we practice today? What is the expectation of how you will see God work in an extraordinary way in your life? This is a sensitive issue for many. And let me throw this out there, so please don't miss this. I do find that sometimes people will just latch a hold of one line that got said, and it's really, it shakes their tree a little bit. But listen to this phrase here. When I use a phrase like we minor on the minors, that does not give anybody an out from knowing what you believe about the minors, okay? We say we major on the major things and we minor on the minor things. That does not mean that you are not accountable to study God's word to know what you believe. It just means you need to pray that you have good discernment to put it in the right perspective, in the right order. And my experience is when we become too dogmatic about something, something that good people will disagree about, sometimes it can have very bad effects. Let me give you two effects that I have seen over the years. When you're so dogmatic about something that maybe possibly the Bible's not completely clear about, sometimes we'll see one of these two things happening. Sometimes we tend to be judgmental of people that have another view. I have seen individuals treat other Christians in a worse way then they treat non-Christians because they will have a disagreement. They will be very judgmental. And here's how, usually, here's how that usually plays out. At a minimum, here's at a minimum, when you're judgmental of someone, you're going to miss out on Christian fellowship with somebody that I think God wants you to have Christian fellowship with. That's a minimum. Now, when we go to the other extreme of it, it goes so far that we will even accuse somebody of not knowing Jesus Christ. And... If we've been around long enough, we could even tie some Bible verses to it, right? Have you been around long enough to understand that just about anything you want to make a case for, you can probably find a verse or two in the Bible to support that. And that gives some oomph to what we're saying. And I would, I would just encourage you, brothers and sisters, be so guarded against this extreme of accusing someone who calls themselves a Christian, a follower of Jesus, of accusing them of not knowing Jesus Christ. Just be careful there 
I would dare say there, is, there are not too many things that can cut someone as deep as when you accuse them of being an unbeliever. Judging is something that I have seen that's been one of the biggest hindrances to the church prospering. It's so difficult. So we see judging taking place. Another thing that we see when people get so dogmatic is, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, we open ourselves up to a couple things. We open ourselves up to pride, and we open ourselves up to confusion. We open ourselves up to pride and confusion. The confusion will come sometimes when we have chosen a topic and we said, I'm going to plant my flag on this hill. This is an issue that I am going to die for. And we run with that. And then we come across somebody who we know that knows Jesus Christ and loves him and they disagree with us. And it kind of unravels so much. It just, it just shakes us. I can remember years ago just with the Lord being patient with me and listening to some radio preachers who had a different philosophy than I did in certain areas. And thinking to myself, how in the world could they be so knowledgeable about all these things and be wrong about this area here that clearly I knew better about than they did? And judging them. We judge. We open ourselves up to confusion and pride comes in and people will not listen to you very long if you are walking in a way where you're talking down to them. I'll give you one more personal illustration before we jump into Acts 19. And this is where I live. I've approached multiple of you about this as God is teaching me because it's a hard one for me because it goes against something that I was kind of grounded in, uh, the doctrine of the Bible, bibliology, revelation. And um, it happened in a very public setting, a group about this size. And we were joined with an apologetics conference with First Baptist Church, with Hunter's Creek Church. There was a Q&A time with the two speakers that we brought in, and I was on the platform with one of the other pastors and the two speakers, and we were going over the questions. And I'm not going to apologize for being ignorant to you, but if you haven't figured out by now that I'm in a learning stage here, well, you know, uh, figure it out because that's where I'm at. Hopefully it's where you're at too. And I sat on that stage and we came across a question and somebody said, what about all these dreams that are happening in the Middle East of Jesus appearing to people and giving the gospel? What's going on with that? And they asked that question to these experts. And I've talked to a handful of you about it as well. And my first knee-jerk response response was, there is no new revelation. God's completely revealed everything he wants in his word. And so he's not going to appear in dreams to give some kind of communication The way they're supposed to learn about the gospel is by us going and telling them and sharing the gospel with them. And the expert on stage who I respect, and I think he gave a good answer, he said something totally contrary to anything that I was familiar with. And I drive in the car now and listen to Mission Network News on the radio station, and they give stories of this. And I've talked to others. And I've been challenged because this took me out of, it confused me. It's a growing process And so I want to encourage you, don't be in a place where you cannot grow. You cannot take in something. Now, it's going to take study. There is no out. It's going to take prayer, and it's going to take good counsel to guide us. We're going to come across some sensitive topics here, and we won't spend a lot of time on those. I've already said about as much as I will say um, about the difficulties of approaching those. But also, when we approach them, it's important for us to remember, here's something you have to see. And this takes a bit of discernment. You have to know the difference between God's blessing and what is not God's blessing. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes when we see 
um, a, a church growing or an individual having something that looks to be effective. I think oftentimes when there is money and when there are numbers, there are times when it's not God's hand of blessing. Having said that, there are many times when God is clearly blessing that. And I think it comes down to when they do not fudge on the gospel and when they're clearly teaching God's word. And there are so many other things that maybe they disagree with, and I could give you illustration after illustration, but we need to move on. Let's go ahead and look in Acts chapter 19 here. We've already learned in, learned in Acts 18 about Apollos. Remember Apollos? He had a great gift from God. He was a great communicator. He could defend what he believed with an incredible amount of authority. And Apollos, who becomes um, knowledgeable of the complete way of Jesus Christ because Priscilla and Aquila showed him, as the Bible says, more accurately the way of God, he leaves, uh, he leaves Ephesus and he goes to Corinth. And he's working there and he's having a powerful impact. And while Apollos goes to Corinth, we find that the Apostle Paul begins his third missionary journey and he goes back to Ephesus. That was oftentimes Paul's habit. And we'll remember well what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He was talking about himself. He was talking about Apollos because they were starting to have their favorites. That happens. People start to have their favorite teachers, their favorite um, individuals that are leaders. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, 4, one of you at that church at Corinth says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. So Apollos was having quite an impact but we know it was never the intention of Paul or Apollos to have people follow them, but they were to follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 and 7, Paul wrote, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the growth? God. God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. If you back up to chapter 18 and verse 21, after, you'll remember that when Paul was in Ephesus before this, they asked him if he would stay. Paul said, I cannot stay, but if the Lord wills, I will come back. Well, God did will that he would come back. On the third missionary journey, he comes back to Ephesus, and that's where we come to chapter 19 here. Look with me verse number one. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. So here's what Paul says to these men, verse 2. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. Let's stop there and talk about this just for a moment. We see that the Apostle Paul comes across some individuals here that were disciples. Now, how you want to define that, you can jump in and study. I've heard good men define it in different ways. Some say every time we find the word disciples in the New Testament, it was talking about followers of Christ. Another says they were just men who were following someone, and we see here who they were following. They were following John the Baptist. That's what took place there. Now, I mentioned Apollos in our introduction because very similar to Apollos, these men who were disciples of John the Baptist, they knew of the Messiah. John taught that. They knew there was a coming of Messiah. They knew about Jesus Christ. But just like Apollos, they did not have the information that Jesus had died and had risen from the dead and of the coming of the Holy Spirit that we find at 
Pentecost. So they had not heard the best part yet, if I can borrow our title from last time. Now let me ask you a question, so participate please. As we get into this, when we look back at Jesus Christ right before his ascension, when Jesus left this earth, he gave a command. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, just before he ascended, leaving the apostles here, he told them to go and make disciples. So Jesus never gave a command to make converts. He gave a command to make disciples. And he told them to baptize in the name of who? Say it out loud. Baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All right. These men are disciples of John the Baptist. Had John the ba- did John the Baptist get to hear Jesus say that before he ascended? No, he did not because he died. He was killed before that. He did not have that information. So keep that in mind. Let's look in verse number four. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And so after they were baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon them in power. And this is a very similar way to Pentecost. So just like Pentecost, they spoke in tongues, And they were also prophesying something incredible, something extraordinary, if I can bring us back to that word, that comes from God. I have entitled this message, Extraordinary God, Then and Now. And I borrowed that word extraordinary right from verse number 11. Let's go ahead and read it. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. There are several things that are going on here that are extraordinary. No less than five things, and maybe you would uh, deem that there are more. But we find some of the extraordinary things of, Paul, of, of God that are going on. The receiving of the Holy Spirit is going on. Speaking in tongues. Prophesying. Next week we'll get into these here. Miracles that were done by Paul. And this is curious because it was Paul, he was working while he was teaching, and he would have these sweat rags that the Bible refers to as either aprons or napkins. And people would go and take those rags and they would take them and people would be healed by those. Something extraordinary is happening. And also we find demons being cast out and we'll also see a failed exorcism. So there are some things that are extraordinary that are going on. Let me just mention one thing just to clarify and I'm going to throw a whole lot to you to jump into your own study, okay? Just in the area of baptism, when we talk about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14 and verse number 16, the Bible says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So you need to understand that this about the Holy Spirit. And I'll start in a way to catch your attention. Prior to you receiving Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit was with you, convicting you of sin. The Holy Spirit is the agent that the Father uses to draw men to himself. So the Holy Spirit was with you, working to draw you to the Father. And when you received Jesus Christ, the Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit began to dwell in you. Every believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. 
1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place? One of the most encouraging pictures that I have seen when we compare ourselves to something, to an illustration, there's a great song that talks about this, a song called Channels Only. How many of you are familiar with that song, Channels Only? Okay, just a handful of us. Channels Only. We are to be in this world a channel where God's power can work, impacting our world, a needy world. And we need, to, we need the work of the Holy Spirit in order to be effective with this not satisfied until God is working in an extraordinary way through his children. How does this happen? Well, it happens when you are obedient to the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible commands you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and overflowing. So if I can use that picture of a glass that gets filled all the way to the top, and this pour a little more in it so it overflows. You should be so filled with the Holy Spirit that it overflows out of you. You need to be experiencing this. If you're not experiencing this, you have a responsibility to be working, to be filled with the Spirit so that, Spirit, so that others can see something more in you. There are some people who like the term baptized in the Spirit. There are some who don't like that. But let me just tell us, God's purpose, either way you say it, is for you to have the Holy Spirit in your life so that you can be a witness. That's the point. Paul here lays his hands on them. They speak in tongues and they prophesy. And this is a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me go ahead and just say a quick word about um, the sensitive issue. In Acts, we understand that we are reading this as a narrative. There are a lot of things that we can learn. There are things that we can apply. But a lot of times we're reading Acts as a transitional period as they are going from Judaism to Christianity. And we need to be careful not to take an experience and turn it into a command. That is a dangerous place for us to go. Um, and when I, I, get, I, get a, I, I, I take very seriously when we approach topics like this because a danger comes when you have a new believer a new Christian, and they might grab a hold of something, not being grounded, not having done the work, and there might be a danger for them to grab a hold of something. I um, was talking to a friend of mine who just saw somebody come to Jesus Christ. This is years back now. And they, were, they came to Christ, they were saved, and they wanted to study God's word, which is the first thing we need to start doing. And so they started reading in the Old Testament. And they came to my friend and they said, oh my goodness, God is so good. I have given up pork and I have stopped doing this. And they were started to recite all of these rules from the Old Testament because they were a babe in Christ and they did not have an understanding of these things. And they directed them to start out in the New Testament and get a good handle and ground there. And then you can go to the Old Testament. They went a direction that maybe they shouldn't have because they were a newer believer. And a major difference today that we see, and if, as you get to study this to believe what you want, what you think God is teaching, a major difference that we see today in these gifts, I think, is that we have the completed word of God. Jesus Christ did miracles and did these incredible things. He was authenticating that he was God. The apostles, when they were starting the church and they were preaching, they were authenticating the message. And now we have a complete Bible. We do not need additional scriptures 
And so I do not take a very, very hard stand against some things that this might lead us to talk to, but I will tell you where I'm at with this. I would say that of these things, at a minimum, they are, are you listening? They are not normative. They are not something that we need to be seeking after, some of these um, extraordinary things that God did in the book of Acts. You jump in, you study it for yourself. But I will tell you, though, and this is the part you should remember, okay? So if you're not tuning in, tune in. I will tell you what I think the best demonstration of the Holy Spirit is. We see several things here that were works of the Holy Spirit, and I feel that the best demonstration of the Holy Spirit in someone's life is not in the speaking of tongues. I think the best demonstration of the Holy Spirit in someone's life is not in prophecy. It's not even in miracles. But I think the best demonstration of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life is in love. This is what God wants you to have. 1 Corinthians, we're in Corinthians a lot, aren't we? 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not, what? Love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So prophetic powers, all knowledge he talks about there in 1 Corinthians 13. Faith that can move mountains. What could be better? I'm genuinely asking, what could be better than having faith that moves mountains? love you might be a skeptic jump in and study it more than that practice it if you practice love with the people that you rub shoulders with in this world that is what they will see that God uses to bring them to himself in fact when we love one another Christians how will the world know that you are followers of Jesus Christ by your love for not necessarily the world by your love for one another. This is huge. And I I think the word of God clearly teaches this is better than all of those things that people get distracted arguing about. And so I would ask the question, what kind of fruit is your life bringing forth? Jesus is looking for you to demonstrate love, a demonstration of the Holy Spirit in your life, love towards believers, love towards unbelievers. We're gonna cover eight through 10 really quick here. And he entered, uh, chapter 19, verse 8, and he entered the synagogue for three months, Paul did, and spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord and both Jews and Greeks. And I won't say a whole lot about that. It's pretty, um, it's pretty clear as far as what happens. He teaches for three months there and they finally refuse him. He goes and teaches in the school of Tyrannus, which means tyrant. It is likely this was not his given name. This guy whose name was Tyrant, probably a nickname given to him as he was a teacher. And Paul would use his facility to teach. And over two years, every day, and we'll go into this a little bit more next week, but over two years, it added up to well over 1,500 hours of teaching that the Apostle Paul gave these people. Some of you right now are getting a little bit covetous, aren't you? Oh my goodness. To sit under Paul's teaching for that long, how incredible would that be? And so a takeaway for us, what can you do? Well, I would encourage you to not be content in your life unless you are seeing the extraordinary works of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I put there on the screen, let your life be characterized by this. 
I would even change that if you're taking notes and say, allow there to be a category for this. I think it's a better way of saying it. Allow there to be a category for this, for God doing extraordinary works in your life as you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I ask you to remember that story that I started with and I told you I would end with one. And so here's the one I'll close with. You remember my testimony. Let me tell you my, my dad's testimony, my Uncle Jack. Before I was born, so many years ago, uh, in the little town of Danville, Illinois, where I was born and grew up, um, not too big of a town, blue-collar town, had a General Motors factory there, uh, Lawhoff Grain, we had a GE factory, a lot of blue-collar workers, of which I am, uh, all of my family was involved in that, all my uncles. My dad is the youngest of six boys. I am the youngest of four boys, a lot of boys going on in my family. We were really blessed when we had a daughter. It was just really against everything that we had known before. My dad was the youngest of six boys, and of his brothers, he had one brother, his name was Webb. All these boys lived like the devil, if I can use that phrase, and Webb um, had a horrible uh, habits in his life, horrible practices, and it led to him losing his marriage. He lost his uh, wife. She was divorcing him, and he called her up. My Uncle Webb called her up and said, can we meet down here and talk? And so they went to meet in a bar, and as they went down there to meet in the bar, he pulled out a gun, and he shot and killed his wife. And then he turned the gun on himself, and he killed himself. So it's a murder-suicide in my family. Town about 40,000 people. Everybody in that town knew my last name for a stretch of time. When they saw the last name Lazelle, I know that name. They knew that name. Those, none, none of the guys in my family knew a preacher. They didn't have a church background. They didn't know who to talk to. So somebody had some connection somewhere with a pastor named Gary Gritton, Pastor Gritton, who pastored a church. They said, will you come and preach this funeral? It's, it's common that I will get a call from the funeral home saying, the church, this family has no church. Would you come and preach the funeral? That was the call that Pastor Gritton got. Pastor Gritton went and he preached this funeral to my dad, who's the youngest, along with his other four brothers, five of them sitting there on that pew. And the preacher preached from the Bible and he preached the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, if you're familiar, familiar with the story of rich, the rich man and Lazarus, there's some details in there that was a very vivid picture for my dad and my uncle sitting on that pew. Because in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man goes to hell. And he begs God, would you just send someone to come or, and dip their finger in water and just touch my, give me some relief from this torment, from this hellfire. And that was the picture. And that um, the rich man did not get what he wanted. And so he gives another request after that. Do you remember what it was? He said, will you send someone then to go back and to tell my brothers about this place so they do not have to come and spend eternity here? And my dad, Jerry Lazell, sat on a pew or in a row at a funeral home and he heard that message. And my Uncle Jack heard that message. And it was at that point that God started working in my Uncle Jack's heart. And I don't know if it was that day or with a follow-up call that was made that my Uncle Jack gave his life to Jesus Christ, who within a couple years would lead my father to Jesus Christ in a bowling alley, smoke-filled bowling alley. Remember the smoke-filled bowling alley days? smoke-filled bowling alley and my dad came to Jesus Christ because of this murder-suicide 
and this preacher they did not know that preached a story that preached a story from the Bible that looked very, very similar to their life situation. Now I asked you to remember, I'm not gonna have you raise your hands and vote, but which story is extraordinary? The story of the murder-suicide and God working in incredible ways to bring this family and multiple of my uncles, including my father, to Jesus Christ, which that led to me being raised in church and coming to Christ, or that first story of me hearing the gospel and turning my life to Jesus Christ. Don't raise your hand. But I would submit to you today that the answer to that question of which one of those is extraordinary, the answer is both. Both of those are extraordinary. We sang today about the shed blood of Jesus Christ and what he did for us and how that can never be taken away and how special you are, the incredible price that was paid. We're getting ready to approach the Easter season in this beautiful picture. And if you want to say, I don't have an exciting testimony, that's fine. I think people know what you mean when you say that. You're not putting down anything that Jesus did. I might not have the most exciting testimony, but here's what I know. I know Jesus Christ loved me enough to die on a cross for me. And can I tell you today that he loves you that much? And he also loves you enough not to leave you, but to give you extraordinary things that cannot be answered in any way. That It's not your lucky day. It is a God who is working in your life for things to come from you serving him. If you're not confident that you're a follower of Christ today, make today the day. I'm not embarrassed to say out loud that I'm not sure when I got saved. Some people give me a pretty hard time because I got baptized right after that first conversion. I didn't get baptized after 17. Some folks might want to kick me out of the pastorate saying I'm not biblically baptized. That's fine. We can talk about that later, you know, in a private setting. (laughs) Having said that, if you're not sure you're a follower of Christ, let me invite you today. Make this day the day of your salvation. If you are a follower of Christ and you're not seeing that overflowing, what are you waiting for? There's nothing better. There's no better gift of the Holy Spirit than you showing love and overflowing of you knowing what you are to God and showing it to the world around you. That's how you will impact the world and that's something that you will hold on to for all eternity. Let's pray. My God, who looked at us before the foundations of the world, who knew the incredible sacrifice that you would give and those confusing words that we come across on a regular basis that it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. And that has to do with us so that we could have a wonderful relationship with you. Thank you for the willingness of Jesus Christ to say, not my will, but thine be done. And I'm going to the cross And we thank you that it's not just that we are saved so that we can have eternal life. We are thankful for that. But thank you that we are saved so we can have an overflowing life in this present place. We thank you for this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look this way, please? I want to invite you as we sing this final song to try not to let the devil sneak a message that might be in your heart out. Try to hold on to that. I know there's lots of distractions. We've got classes and other things going on. But if God's working in your heart, do something to come back to this. And if you have a question about eternity or about salvation, approach, come to me. Talk to somebody in here that you know. Ask them to show you this way of salvation.